Yes, we are. Good morning. Sorry, you're talking. Yes. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading will be taken from Deuteronomy 6, 3 to, 3 to 9. Hear it therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, of, hear, O Israel, the Lord of our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they, sh they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Thank you, church. Turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. I want the world to know that the Lord of love has come to me. And I want to pass it on. That's the message today. Pass the blessing on. This will be the last message in our series about Abraham, a truly great man in the Bible, blessed by God. Our theme of Abraham has been surrendering to the unknown, for his life was really one surrender after another, and so ought our lives to be. In this passage of Scripture, we see the closure of Abraham's life. A second marriage is referenced. I believe that this marriage was after, the, his, after Sarah died. And then some of his other descendants. And then his death. And then he passes on the blessing to Isaac. And that's really what this passage is about. That he pass on the blessing that God gave him to Isaac. So Genesis 25, I'm going to read, beginning at verse 1. And I will go down to verse number 11. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And let me just say, I have a number of commentaries. A lot of the commentators, they're not sure when this marriage took place, because not all of this is actually chronological. And some say that he may have taken this uh, concubine, she's called a concubine, with Hagar as well, while Sarah was alive. I tend to want to believe that Abraham took her after Sarah died. <laughs> okay. And it says, She bare him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. Now, I'm not going to get all into all this genealogies, but I'm just going to make one point. The, only, the ones that we may know, of course, are Midian. We hear the Midianites. So the Midianites are descendants of Abraham's marriage to Keturah. And Shua 
is probably the father of Bildad the Shuhite. Remember who he is? Who's Bildad the Shuhite? He's one of Job's counselors. So perhaps Bildad is a descendant of Shua. Verse 4. And the sons of Midian... Oh, there's Midian in verse 4. Ephah and Epher and Hanok and Abida and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. So he's passing on the blessing that God gave him to Isaac. And unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, notice that concubines, that would be Hagar and Keturah. Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. A hundred, three score, and fifteen years. And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. And let's read verse 11 together. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt in the well Leharohi. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you so much now for this opportunity to be in your word today. It's somewhat an obscure passage of Scripture, but, Lord, it's important. It's in your word. It's the, it's the final uh, a situation that Abraham experiences, a great day in his life, the day of his death, Lord, where he was gathered with his other people, but with you as well, O God. And we know that we're all going to have this day of death. And, Lord, in the meantime, we pray that you would give us the grace to pass the blessing that we have received on to the generation coming before behind us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message today, very simple message, pass the blessing on. So I read a beautiful little book about the ministry of J.B. Williams, who went to what has now been Nin, but it was called Dahomey in the mid-1900s. He went for just about six years from 1946 to 1952. And what he would do, he would go into these different villages around in Dahomey. And he would preach the gospel. And the Lord would save people. And when there was a young man interested in wanting to study the Bible, he would invite them to a Bible school that he was starting. So he started this Bible school, and one day he was teaching a class, and one of the young men in the class, he handed him a notebook. And the the boy took the notebook with, with one hand. One of the older boys slapped him on the head. And J.B. didn't know why the older boy slapped that boy in the back of his head for receiving the notebook the way he did. J.B. didn't say anything. No one said anything. The boy just sat down with the notebook. But after class, J.B. went to that older student who slapped the other boy in the head and he said, why did you slap him? He said, teacher, he did a very impolite thing. And he said, well, what did he do? Well, when he received the notebook from you, 
He only received it with one hand. And that is impolite. He should have taken it with both hands. And J.B. said, well, why? Why is it so important that he take that notebook with both hands? And he said, when we receive something from someone else, and that is a gift, and we know that we don't have to pay for it, we know that nothing is expected of us to receive it, to show gratitude for that thing, we accept it with two hands. And a light went off in J.B. Williams' mind and heart. He said, that's great, hallelujah! And he called all the boys together, and he says, this is a beautiful illustration of how God has passed His love and grace and salvation to us. And so when we go to the villages, let us preach that God has given us a gift of His Son with two hands. And He must be received with great gratitude with two hands as well. Because salvation is a gift. You can't buy it. You don't earn it. And you'll never be expected to pay for it. You just receive the gift of eternal life. Pass it on. That's what J.B. Williams went throughout the country of Dahomey back in the mid-1900s. And that's what we're doing here in New York City. Just think of it. In a hundred years, not one of us will be walking this earth. None of us will be as old as Abraham was. 175 years old. I'm not sure about this, but I thought about, you know, how the ages of those decreased after the flood. Did anyone live longer than Abraham after Abraham? I don't know. You could think of, study that out for yourself. But I'm not sure, certain that anyone after Abraham lived 175 years. I could be wrong on that. I'm just throwing it out to you. But he lived a long time. But he died. And he had to pass on the blessing that God gave to him to his son. That was really the most important thing he had to do in his life. If he didn't pass on the blessing that God had given to him, he would have failed. We've got to pass it on. And that's the point of this passage. It's really quite simple. That Abraham dies, but he ensures that the blessing of God is passed on to the next generation. And that is specifically to Isaac. Verse 11 is the key verse there. Do you see it? It came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And that was because Abraham made it possible and made it clear. The blessing. Of God. This is what we have to pass on. We're going to talk about this word blessing. What does the idea of blessing mean? It centers in on our salvation. The idea of blessing centers on the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Only in the Messiah does the, the, the word blessing have its fullest meaning. It speaks of our salvation. The full display of our blessing is that Jesus Christ saves us by grace through faith. That's the greatest blessing. It was vital that Abraham passed this blessing on. Think about this blessing of God. Go back to Genesis chapter 12, please. I want to read a few verses. I want to read a couple verses, and I hope I don't lose you here in this introduction. 
Because I want to, there's a lot of verses that come to my mind. But I want to talk about this, just this idea of passing on this blessing. And we've got to do it as well. Because the blessing of God is what will truly unite a divided world. We hear all the time, oh, how divided we are as a nation. But the blessing of God, the salvation of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that can ultimately unite a divided world. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 12. This is where we first met Abraham a hundred years ago, before, so to speak. Where it says in Genesis chapter 12, God had spoken to him in verse 1, Get out of your country from your father's house to a land that I will show thee. Verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And here's how, how the blessing unites The world, a divided world. He says that in thee, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. That means He's going to unite the families of the earth under the blessing that God uh, brought to the world through Abraham. Now look at this passage. Go to Genesis chapter 22, please. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 and 18. Now, follow this. He says, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 and 18, he says that in blessing, and this is after Abraham had done that Akedah. Remember the Akedah? We talked about that, the binding of Isaac. He offered Isaac as that sacrifice, and God provided a lamb. And then God says, now I know you fear me. But after that, it says in Genesis 22:17 that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice so what is he going to unite here what he's under the blessing all the what All the nations. So in Genesis 12, he said all the families. And here he says all the nations. And that's why I highlighted the word family there. Because families sometimes fracture. You know what can unite a divided, broken family? Jesus Christ. And what unites broken and divided nations? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The works of men, man's schemes and strategies are not going to unite the nations and will unite, not help the family apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the blessing that we need to unite the families and the nations. Now, these two words are critical words because they go back to the descendants of Noah. And if you even look at this verse, you could go to it in your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 10. So why, this, what's the, why is this word family so important? Why is this word nation important? In this context, he's talking about the descendants of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 10 is a phenomenal passage. You read it, you might say, well, it's just a bunch of names. It's like genealogy. Yeah, but what he's doing is giving 
the nations of the world after the flood. And there were 70 of them. And they were the descendants of Noah and his wife. The descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The three sons of Noah and his wife, right? And there were 70 nations. And all of us, all of us on the earth, every person walking the face of the earth, think about this, is a descendant of one of those 70 nations. Every one of us. And at the end of Genesis chapter 10, he tells us what every person on the face of the earth is a part of. We're descendants of Noah and of either Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the verse in Genesis 10.32, let's read it together. It's up on the screen. It says, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. By these were the nations divided in the earth. After the flood. So the nations have been divided. But God says, I'm going to bring the nations back together through the blessing that God had blessed Abraham with. And we have that blessing today, beloved. We need to pass it on. We need to pass it on. Now, in that passage we read in, let me just go back to a quick In Genesis 22, three times it says, you see the orange highlight there? He says, I will multiply thy seed as the stars. Upon And thy seed shall possess the gate of the enemies. And thy seed, in thy seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, Abraham had a seed. His name was who? Isaac, of course. And the blessing of Abraham... And the seed that is going to fulfill this promise is going to come through Isaac. But Isaac didn't fulfill this promise in its totality, and neither did Jacob. And after Jacob, there was Judah. And then after Judah, there were other descendants, and finally there was King David. But who is this seed that ultimately this speaks of? That God is going to multiply as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore, who will possess the gates of the enemy. Who is this seed? Galatians chapter 3.16. Can you read it with me? It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So when he talks about thy seed, thy seed, thy seed, I want you to see this for yourself. Who is the seed? Paul tells us, it's who? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one through whom, who would come through Abraham. So you see, in Abraham's loins, and now in the loins of Isaac, rested the salvation of the world, humanly speaking, in Jesus Christ who would come forth from them. Hallelujah. Pass it on. Pass on the blessing we have in Jesus Christ. Because, do you know who we are, spiritually speaking? Who does that verse say we are? We're what? We're children of, we're children of promise. Just like Isaac. Now, Isaac was born by a miracle, right? He was born, he was promised, and he only, he came forth only by miracle. We're children of promise. And you know what? You say, well, I wasn't born by a miracle. I was just, it was a natural birth. It wasn't that miraculous, you know. But, you know, if you're born again, you were born again by a miracle. You're, you're, 
You are like Isaac. You are a born again. If you're saved in Jesus, you say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose again from the dead. You are born again by the grace and by the miracle work of the Holy Spirit of God. And you weren't saved to sit on your salvation, but to pass it on to those around you and to the coming generation. And so, who are we the children of in Galatians chapter 3? Here you go, Joe. You can, you can say amen. Here you go. <laughs> We're children of promise, but spiritually, yes, we are children of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. In other words, we, because the faith of Abraham was passed on to Isaac, we have believed in Jesus Christ. Because the faith has been passed on. That's why we're here today. Just think of this. And Jesus even started the church 2,000 years ago. And here we are. And what is going on here today is more important than any that's going to happen in any sports stadium in our nation today. And I like football. Those were some good football games last week. But I love to come to the house of God, first of all. And because this is what's important. This is eternal. That's amazing. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And that's not to say that God doesn't have a plan with national Israel. He does. And I won't get off into that. But spiritually speaking, when we're born again, we're part of that seed that is like the stars and like the sand of the seashore. And the whole point is this. There's, we're living in this world. And I'm saying here today... As, I, as, as we saw that the, the seed of Abraham and Isaac fulfilled through Jesus Christ, He is the one who's going to unite the nations. And we see it in the book of Revelation. All the people groups, all the tongues of people, all the, people, all the languages, all the nations are going to be around the throne praising Jesus, saying salvation to Him who sits on the throne. There's no other way of salvation. But you know, this world has another idea of how to bring the, uni- the nations together and unite the nations. And that was Nimrod's idea. And that idea is still very much alive today. Do you know, the spirit of Babylon is more, uh, uh, it is very alive, as much alive today as it was in the days of Nimrod, to bring the nations together. One global community. Not nations, but one global community. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit of Babylon. That's the spirit of this world. And it was in pride and rebellion in Genesis chapter 11 that Nimrod sought to unite the world against God, but that only ultimately led to the division of the the nations. Only the blessing of Jesus Christ will unite a divided world. So this is the rich word blessing. Do you know how rich we are in Christ? The world might not consider us rich. The world might consider us crazy, fanatics or whatever. But we are rich in Jesus Christ because we have His salvation. God has given to us His salvation with with both His hands and all of His heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of, of God. So I say... Let's pass it on because, because, beloved, we soon will pass on. 
And there is a desperate need for believers today to be on fire for God, to pass on their faith to others. Fathers, pass on your faith to your children. Mothers, pass on your faith to your children. Pastors, deacons, Sunday school teachers, spirit-filled Christians, let us rec- we receive the blessing of God. Let us pass that faith on to those around us. We must. It only takes one generation for there to be absolute degeneration. We've got to pass on. That's the message today. Three simple things. First of all, by living from the inside out. Did I lose you yet? You with me? Okay, so... I don't have a long sermon. That was, that was a longer introduction. But you know, I actually saw an Answers in Genesis. I saw their email. In the email, did you get Answers in Genesis emails? They did a survey. He said Christians like longer sermons. Amen. I don't know. Do you like long sermons? Amen. No, I preach long sermons. I, so I, <laughs> 50 minutes would be considered a long sermon. I, I, I think I qualify. So I try not to, but they always end up 53 minutes. I don't know what happens. Anyway, by living from the inside out. Now, this is kind of a, a topical message, but I'm going to go back to Genesis 25. But first, I want to go over to Deuteronomy 9. And I just want to bring out some simple points here from Deuteronomy, not chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's a passage that was read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the key point that I want us to see from this passage is we've got to live the faith of Jesus Christ with the blessing of salvation in us. We have to live this from the inside out. That's what I see in Deuteronomy. What do I mean? We've got to live it from the inside out. Verse 4 and 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt do what? Love the Lord thy God. How much? With all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy what? Heart. That's on the inside. We have to love God. We need to be God-loving people from the inside. That's the first thing. Live God-loving. Now look at verse number 6. He says, And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine what? Heart. On the inside. We've got to love the Word of God so much that we put God's Word in our heart. That's why we have our Scripture memory. Because it's important. That's why we challenge you to have your daily devotions every day. Because our life must be fueled by a delight in and a devotion to God from our heart. We've got to be God-loving and Word-filled people. He says, these words shall be in thine heart. Love God. Jesus, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? He quoted this verse, didn't he? To love God with all our heart. This is the greatest commandment. To love God from the inside. The heart is who you really are. The heart is what you really seek for. For satisfaction and joy and peace. In other words, what do you think you need in this life to be truly satisfied? To have arrived? To be fulfilled. What do you really need? You know what the answer? I 
need to love God. <laughs> I need to love God with all my heart. He's the one who will truly satisfy me. We need to be God-loving and we need to be word-filled. And then, now, once it's on the inside, what, is, what happens? It moves out. So we need to live our Christian life. If we're going to pass it on, it has to start in our heart. And then it moves out. So we are God-loving, word-filled. And then he says in verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently. Teach them diligently. And he talks about, and he doesn't, he doesn't say, say teach them diligently in Sunday school class. Although we need to teach them diligently in Sunday school class. But he says teach them diligently where? He says when you talk with them, when you're, when, you're in, when you're in your house, when you're walking around, when you lie down. In other words, make the routine, the normal, everyday moments of life as an opportunity to share the love of God with those around you. Obviously, parents need to be doing this. It's a great challenge, but I challenge parents to love, be so God-loving, and be so Word-filled that the Word spills out of you naturally. In, in whether you're sitting at the dinner table, whether you're sitting around uh, reading a newspaper or watching the news or, or you're going to watch a game or, or you're just doing things as a family, you're going to the park, whatever you're, the routine, the normal parts of life, as you go to bed at night, let the Word of God spill out of you to make those routine, normal moments times of intentional interaction and teaching. With those around us. Ministry minded. And then he says, live shame free. And I say shame free because now because you love God on the inside and you love it, you have his words on the inside and you're teaching them to your children. And so they know what you believe and where you stand. Now, he says, bind them on your hand, put them on your eyes uh, you know, write them on the doorposts of your house. Let, let others around you know where you stand. But you see, what will happen if you just go to this fourth thing first? You just like put on a necklace, ladies. You wear a nice cross. And it's okay to wear a cross. I, I say definitely not have Jesus on the cross, but an empty cross necklace. If you just wear that, or you put Bible verses around the house, but there's no love for Jesus. There's no real salvation. And it, it's just, or just like you put the Bible on the, on the dashboard of the car, but you never read it, you know? It's just there kind of as a, as a good luck charm. The Bible's not a good luck charm. The Bible is God's holy word that we're to love the words and hide them in our hearts. So we should live shame free. The problem is, if we do not do the first three things, live God-loving, word-filled, ministry, minded lives, and we just try to put up all these mementos around us without the first three being true. That's where hypocrisy is, and we're never going to pass on our faith that way. But we're living in challenging days, perilous times. Problems are more complex now than perhaps... I know they're more complex and more difficult now than they were when... I was first started being a parent, and it was difficult for us. Children are struggling with basic aspects of their life, like never before. Their sexuality, their gender. Many in the church, meanwhile, are hooked to fear, to drugs. I'm talking about hooked 
in the church to porn, to alcohol. And people have all these different issues. I I don't even know what most of these things mean when I hear OCD, PTSD, ADHD, MPD. Multiple personality disorder, oppressive, uh, compulsive disorders. PTSD, we know that. Post-traumatic stress, ADHD. Attention deficit disorders. All kinds of disorders. We need Jesus. You know, Jesus Christ, I believe, is the ultimate solution to all of these disorders. And then we hear about CRT, BLM, LGBTQST. No, you know, and then it could be more, but it's LGBTQ. So we're living in this day, and all of these different alphabets are thrown at us, and we, we can become really discouraged and defeated and say, How can I help anybody? How can I pass on? Jesus Christ is the ultimate one that we've got to be teaching the Word of God because people have all of these alphabet problems because they don't know the (laughs) B-I-B-L-E. We've got to get back to the Bible because there is, perhaps, we're living in perhaps the greatest day of biblical illiteracy in this country than ever before. But people say, well, I've tried to go to church. I tried to read my Bible. I tried to pray. But it didn't work. So if that's the reality, what's the solution? Oh, you tried to read your Bible, and you tried to pray, and you tried to go to church, and it didn't work. What's the solution? Abandon it or intensify it? (laughs) I say intensify it. Don't abandon the Word of God. Don't abandon prayer. These are the weapons of our warfare. And they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Don't abandon the church. Find a good church. And be active and faithful in a good Bible-believing church. I believe not a perfect church, but we're at least a, we're at least a good church. Amen? <laughs> you're here. I praise God that you're here. makes it a better church than if I were just here. So let's live out our faith from the inside out. By how? Say it with me. Being God-loving, word-filled, ministry-minded, and shame-free. And then we'll be blessed. Pass on that blessing. Let your life be fueled by a delight in and a devotion to God. We're living in difficult times. And you might say, well, I've got a lot of problems. And I have pressures. And it's hard for me to read my Bible. It's hard for me to to really take the time to to pray. It is hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. Maybe you'll have to stop doing some other things in order to give that time to the Lord. But you know, if you give that time to the Lord, your life will simplify. It will not become more complicated. Maybe some things that you need to stop doing in order to seek God. And remember, Abraham had a lot of trials. Abraham had flaws, and we have flaws. We're going to have trials. We're going to have difficulties. Abraham made mistakes. Abraham committed sins. Abraham took oh, 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 the woman Hagar he shouldn't have taken. 
But he kept going and he kept surrendering and resurrendering his heart and his life. And he went through famine. His wife was kidnapped. Lot was captured. He had to wait and he had to wait and he had to wait on God to answer his promise of bringing a son to him. And in the meantime, he made bad decisions. You know, I like the life of Abraham because he was not a perfect person and neither are we. And so we're not going to be perfect in this process of passing on the blessing to the next generation. But we can be successful in the end because Abraham was in spite of his flaws. The second thing, now go back to the book of Genesis, please. To Genesis chapter 25. Is that we have to grasp how brief life is. Life is really fast. And so, here we see the brevity of life. And and we see in this... And again, remember where we're at in the Bible... We are in the first book of the Bible, right? This is the very beginning of the Scripture. And we're only in the 25th chapter. Now, we read in Genesis chapter 5, all these people died who came forth from Adam. And some of them lived a really long time, like Methuselah. You know, but even he died. And then after that was the flood of Noah. And the whole world died, except Noah and his family. So, I mean, we've really been confronted with death a lot. But in the, in the Bible, we haven't seen, well, what happens... When people die. So here's one of the first descriptions in the Scripture of death. And it goes beyond just, oh, they buried him. So notice what it says here in this description. And beloved, it hasn't changed. What happened to Abraham will happen to us. In Genesis chapter 25, we need to understand life's brevity. And it says in verse 5, how Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And then verse 7, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life when he lived a hundred, three score, and fifteen years. And then it says, and Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age. He was an old man, full of years, he w- and, and he was gathered to his people. So we see that death is described as a giving up of the ghost. What is a ghost? What is your ghost? It's not like, ooh, you know, a ghost. Oh, I saw a ghost. It's your breath. He literally, and death is here described, and it's described here and also in other places of the Bible, but he stopped breathing. That's what death is. And that's an ancient description of physical death, but it's still true. When someone stops breathing, they will die. Now, machines can sometimes artificially make people breathe, and they say, well, he's brain dead. That's because the machine is making his lungs go in and out, but I doubt whether that's really their breath or not. You know, and that, we gonna, don't want to necessarily get off into all of those end-of-life decisions that we may have to make for our parents. But the point is, generally, when per, a person stops breathing, they die. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It says He yielded up the ghost. He yielded up the Spirit. He gave up His... His breath, he stopped breathing. And so we hear, see here this great man of God, Abraham, die. <laughs> but God's work goes on. And that's the way it's been. From the days of Adam, even through Christ, the New Testament apostles, they died. The apostles all died, but the work went on. Moses died, but the work went on. 
Abraham died, but the blessing went on. We're going to die, but the blessing will go on. We've got to pass it on. We're not indispensable. May God use us to send forth His blessing from this generation, from us to the next. By the way, it says here that Abraham was 175 years old when he died. 103 score, that's 60 and 15 years. So that's 175. So Abraham was 75 years old when, he, when we first really kind of meet him, when he left Haran and went into the land of promise. So Abraham really started living, biblically speaking, when he was 75. Think about that. We're ready to retire and hang it up. He was just getting going. And then Jacob and Esau were born later on now uh, when once Isaac got married, Jacob and Esau were born when Isaac was 60. So remember, Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. Abraham was 100. So think about this. Jacob and Esau were born when Isaac was 60. So add 100 to 60. That's how old Abraham was when Jacob was born. So Abraham was 160 years old when Jacob was born. And how long would Abraham live with Jacob? 15 years. Which we might not get from the text because... In the text of Genesis 25, Jacob's not born yet. He's going to be born later in the chapter. But he was actually born during the life of Abraham. Abraham got to enjoy his grandson for 15 years before he died. I, think that, I thought that was interesting. But he, he died physically when he stopped breathing. But then it says he was gathered to his people. Now that's an interesting expression. And I put these other verses in your notes. We're not going to look up all those verses. But they're similar And this expression, it says he was gathered to his people. I believe it means his soul reunited with his loved ones in the afterlife. So even though he physically stopped breathing, his soul didn't die. And neither did his soul sleep. His soul lived on. He he was regathered. It says he was gathered, verse 8, verse 8, he was gathered to his people. So he kept living after he died. With his people. Now, this isn't speaking about being buried with his people because the writer, Moses, didn't talk about how Abraham would be buried. He would be buried where Sarah was. But he was just buried buried where Sarah was, not with anyone else of his people. So this has to refer to his soul reuniting with his people. You know what I thought about when I read that? I'm like, sad to say, a lot of my family members that I know, I, I don't know that they're really saved. You can, we pray that they are, but... And then I thought, well, you know, maybe there's a lot of descendants that went before my father, my mother, my great-great-great-great-grandparents who knew the Lord. And I'll be gathered. I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll meet them in heaven. Didn't, couldn't have known them on earth. Think of the, your descendants who knew the Lord before you. You'll be gathered to them. We're, we're going to have such a reunion with family that we never met before in heaven. And of course, with all the other believers, all our people, you'll be my people in heaven, amen? Gather to my people. Where the, where's the heritage family, you know? Where's my peeps? 
We're going to be gathered with our people. Listen, we don't believe in soul sleep. The soul never sleeps. The soul is consciously alive after death, either in heaven or in hell. That's why you must be saved. There is a hell for those who are not born again. You want to be gathered with believers in heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. Now, look at, look at this Scripture too. where and, and just to emphasize the point that Abraham did go into an after, into paradise. We can call it paradise. He went into a place of blessedness, of peace, when he died with others who had lived out their faith before him. And you remember in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, I'm going to ask you to turn to this verse though. Look in Matthew chapter 22, and I'll tell you the verse in just a moment. But in Exodus 3, 6, remember Exodus 3, 6, who's talking in Exodus 3? God is speaking to Moses, and where's God talking from? The burning bush. Very good. He's talking from the burning bush. And God told Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, what does that mean? Do you know what? Jesus tells us exactly what it means. When God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what does that mean about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They were still alive. Because God doesn't say, I was their God. No, He says, I am still their God. And that's how Jesus interpreted for us in Matthew chapter 22. And if you could turn there, please. When these religious rulers came and asked Jesus a question about the resurrection... Jesus said this. Incredibly, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 22, verse 31. I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 31. As touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? Now, let me just stop on that for a moment. And Jesus is going to quote from Exodus. But what does Jesus say about what was written by Moses years ago to these Jewish people? Who was it spoken to? Jesus says, haven't you read these things that were spoken to you? That Moses wrote? But wait a minute, I thought Moses wrote it for the people in that generation. He did. And he wrote it for every generation. And he wrote it for the people in Jesus' day. And you know what? He wrote it for me! So I could say this, this is what... God has spoken to you. So you better, better know what it says. He spoke it to you. <laughs> That's why we have to know the Bible. God's given it to us. He's spoken the Bible to us. He says, He's spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And what does Jesus say? God is not the God of the dead, but He's the God of the living. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were alive in the days of Moses, and they were alive in the days of Jesus, and they're alive now in heaven. Hallelujah. I should get us excited. I got excited there. Calm down. Okay. The third thing is, his body was buried. So he stopped breathing. That's physical death. His soul was reunited. And now his body was buried. And we could say his body sleeps. So when, the, when, when it speaks about the sleep of the dead, like Jesus said, Lazarus isn't dead, but he's asleep. The sleep always refer, references the body, not the soul. Now go back to Genesis chapter 25, and there's something actually interesting too. When they buried Abraham, and this happens still to this day. 
Who is mentioned in verse 9 side by side? They're never mentioned like this throughout the text. Who's mentioned in Genesis 25, verse 9? Who's mentioned? Isaac and Ishmael. Now remember, Abraham had sent Ishmael away. The last time we saw him, Ishmael was mocking Isaac. But now Abraham's dead. And what does Abraham's death do? It brings together brothers who have had a falling out. That happens, right? At funerals, family members get together that never may see one another. Maybe they've had falling outs. And there's even family separations. But death brings people back together. So use those opportunities to spend time with your family and share God's love with them. But Abraham's body was buried. And that's what we should do with our body, by the way. Burial is the most Christian thing to do with your body. Not to cremate it. And so that's what we see here. Passing on your faith. First of all, let it come from the inside out. Second of all, realize the brevity of life. Realize how brief life is. We're going to breathe our last. We're going to be regathered. Our body's going to be buried. We've got to pass it on. We're not going to be here for long. Pass on your faith. And thirdly, by giving strenuous effort. So here I'd like to just, and we're just going to read, I'm not going to make many comments here. Go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, a great psalm of passing on our faith to the next generation. You know how David's life is summarized, King David's life? David's life is summarized is that in this way. He served his own generation by the will of God. And then he died. He fell asleep. That's all we can really do. We're going to serve God in this generation. Let's do it well. Let's do it for His glory. Let's give strenuous effort. This world knows how to give strenuous effort in order to be successful. Especially in athletics. Pass it on. Like in a relay. Pass on that baton. Pass on the blessing. Look at Psalm 78, and I'll begin reading. In verse 1, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, His strength, His wonderful works, which He hath done. So there's three things we need to show to the generation to come. The praises of God, His strength, His works. For He hath established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. God gave the law for that purpose, for the, for the one generation to make known to the next, right? Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. So parents tell their children who tell their children who tell their children. That this is the process. Say, well, I don't have children. Tell somebody. You don't have to tell your children if you don't have children. But tell others around you. Pass on your faith to those around you. Verse 8 or verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. 
and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. I believe he's talking about there about the wilderness generation. They didn't pass on their faith and God killed them all, killed them off in the wilderness. So this has got to happen supernaturally. It's not going to happen naturally. It must happen supernaturally. And think of this. This is what a lot of... This is the easy thing to do. Drop the baton. Drop the blessing. Let's not drop the blessing. Let's make sure if you drop it, pick it up. Don't quit running. It's going to take strenuous effort. Because this culture will not help us one little bit. Television is not going to help us. Social media is not going to help us. Hollywood is an enemy. It's not going to help. College now is even working against the truth of God. I mean, back in the 60s, they took... What does it tell you about our country back in the 60s? They took prayer out of the, out of the school. Prayer in the Bible had been taken out of the school. I mean, it's not going to... The schools aren't going to help us spiritually raise our children. They don't have prayer. They don't have the Bible. That's how, this is how part of what we are passing on. And it's really scary what's going to happen next. Because, like, these go- I'm afraid of these goggles that MetaMark is coming out with. You know who MetaMark is, right? Meta. They're changing Facebook to Meta. Mark Zuckerberg, he's going to give, he wants to give everybody these goggles. He's like, don't worry, don't worry about anything. Put on these goggles. Sit down, shut up, put on the goggles. Don't worry about owning anything. The government will just send you a check. Just put on your goggles. You can go anywhere you want. Sit down, shut up. You know, it's like, be like zombified by goggles. I'm, I'm kind of scared about this. And then, you know the perversion they're already thinking up that you could watch and do? And yeah, you could go to Mars with the goggles, but you could do all kinds of wicked, violent, immoral activity as well. It's, and, and people are not going to be able to control this. I'm, we, we've got to teach our children that this might not look as exciting as the things of this world, but this is the word of the living God, and it's exciting to our soul. Let's not drop the blessing. It's going to take a super... That's why I say, this has got to happen supernaturally. <laughs> Because it's not going to happen naturally. And then there's a spiritual battle that we have to face. Now, so look what he says here in verse number 9. He says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, refused to walk in His law. They forgot His works and His wonders that He had showed them. What that is talking about is the post-Joshua culture, the post-Joshua generation. And I believe I put in your notes three generations, like the wilderness generation, the post-Joshua generation, and this Ephraim generation. But the Ephraim generation, he's basically saying they had the Word of God. They were ready to fight. They were ready to go out to battle. But just as they were ready to go out to battle, they said, nah, it's not worth it. (laughs) And so being armed... And carrying bows, they didn't go out to battle, even though they had been trained to do it. And then, of course, Ephraim became idolatrous and went off into captivity in rebellion against God. So we say, let's not be like the children of Ephraim, who, who forsook the spiritual battle and became rebellious against God and idolatrous. 
We've got to pass on. It's going to take a spiritual battle. And let us not shrink. That's the point. We, we, we have the armor. Right? We have the armor to fight the battle. Let's not shrink from the battle. Let's do the spiritual battle of passing on the gospel. So, and then I just say this in closing. Young people, for our young people that are here. Just talk to you for one second. And I, I won't read that passage, but Proverbs chapter 30 talks about a generation of self-righteous and violent people. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it from their parents. Basically, it was like the, the generation that just tuned their parents out and says, we know better. So I would just ask young people, look, we, I have a lot of problems, and so do your parents, because we're, we're just sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect. We have flaws. We fail. Perhaps I failed you in ways that I don't even know. But I, I, I fail every day of my life doing something. I, I tell you straight up, I, do, I try my best and I still fail. The email still doesn't come out right. The text message is still flawed. Even though I, somebody said, I made my New Year's resolution to edit my emails and my texts and I still send out mistakes. We fail. But don't look at us ultimately. We're just instruments. Look to Jesus. That's what I say to our young people. Look to Jesus and follow Jesus. Follow the Word of God because Jesus never fails. He'll never fail you. He's always faithful. So young people, receive the blessing of salvation in Christ. Make sure you're saved. Give your heart fully to Him. And then desire to obey the Lord with all your heart. And you can change the world. One man, Abraham, changed the world. So I want to tell you a story as I close. I told you at the beginning of this message about missionary J.B. Williams who went to Dahomey. And he would go from one village to the other. And after he was preaching in one village, an older man came up to him and says, Wait, wait, there's a young man. He wants to see you. He wants to talk to you. And so so J.B. was waiting for this young man. And he wasn't coming. And he was getting a little impatient. He's like, well, where is he? Is he going to come? And uh, Go out. Go and look for him. And tell him to come because I have to leave soon. And so finally, though, the young man was coming. He was crippled. And he was walking on his hands and his knees with two blocks. And he was walking very slowly, crawling toward J.B. His name was Bayou. B-I-A-U. I'll just call him Bayou. Bayou. How's that? So J.B. had previously gone to the village where Bayou lived, and he accepted the Lord as his Savior. And Bayou started talking to J.B. He says, you've been here, and I've trusted Jesus, and he's filled my heart with peace. And he asked J.B., he said, I want to be a part of your Bible school. Will you please take me to your home that I could study the Jesus book with you and your other students? And J.B. looked down at this precious young man who was crippled. His legs, by the way, he would walk on his knees and the rest of his legs would just trail behind him. He was walked on two blocks of wood. And J.B. said, well, I send out those young Bible school students on a bicycle, and there's no way that you could ride a bicycle. I'm sorry, Bayou, but you won't be able to come, and I, I won't be able to teach you in my Bible school. And Bayou said, 
But if you will take me to your school and teach me the Jesus book, and if you will just lift me onto your truck, and when we get to a village, just drop me off, and I will crawl into the village and tell those people about Jesus. Would you do that? And J.B. looked down at this precious boy. He said, I will do that. So Bio became one of his best students. He graduated was one of the first graduates of his Bible school. Here he is, the little boy there, shorter than the others because he was crippled. And that's exactly what they do with a bio. They would put him on the truck and bring him to a village and then drop him near the village and he would crawl in and he would tell them about Jesus Christ. And you know, I say, and he became a pastor. He became a pastor. So I say, pass on the Word of God, beloved. Because when you tell someone about Jesus, and they fall in love with Jesus Christ, they may be willing to crawl on their hands and knees to pass it on to someone else. Let's stand together as we pray. Pass it on. By living from the inside out. By grasping life's brevity. By giving strenuous effort like this young boy bow. Strenuous effort to tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, as we've studied the life of Abraham and seen his surrender to you, his surrender through waiting, his surrender through trials. His surrender, even in the midst of his flaws and failings and sins, but his surrender to you. And he received your blessing and he passed it on. And Abraham changed the world and he changed eternity. And his blessing will unite every family. And every nation, because it's your blessing that was in Him. And it's your blessing, it is your Spirit that is in us, Lord God. And help us to believe as we obey your command to pass the blessing on, that we could change eternity. We could change the world. We could touch families. We could touch nations by the power of your Spirit in us. Use us, Lord. Forgive us and cleanse us. And how many would say, Pastor Matt, I have the blessing of salvation in Jesus Christ and I want to pass the blessing on to others. Can I see your hand? Amen. Many hands. Praise God for you, dear church. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. And we'll have an invitation. If God has touched your heart to come, you come and pray and just ask the Lord to give you grace to pass on your faith to others. We'll sing the stanzas one and three of this song. Pass it on as we close. It only takes a spark. Thank you.